Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's the name above all names. In the name of your Son, whom you gave all power and authority to in heaven and on earth, and you've said and declared by what he did on the cross that it's in the name of Jesus that it's the only way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. And his name shall reign supreme. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Father, we already confess that. And we praise you and we thank you for our Lord. We thank you for your word, your Holy Spirit. The things that you've left behind for us as, as your children to help us and to guide us through this life and to lead us to you. And so, Father, today as we worship you, as we praise you, and as we offer our prayers and our thanksgiving, we, we now, Father, want to have fellowship with you in the word. We pray that your spirit allow us to understand it. I pray that it will be taken to heart. I pray that as it has worked on my soul this week, that it will be delivered in love, and it will be received in love, and that it will begin a change for not only us as individuals, but for our communities, and then for the nation, and then yea to all the world. So Father, we thank you for having fellowship with us in your word. We pray that you are glorified and exalted by everything we do, and that our worship is acceptable in your sight and pleasing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew. And I meant that. I, I, my soul got pained this week as I studied for this worship service tonight and the words of God for, for his flock. Seems like things have gone astray. You know, whenever the pendulums swing too far, too, too much one way or another, things get out of balance. There has to be a good balance. And it seems like because recently in the last... I don't know how far back you want to go, but it seems like the pendulum swung from reformation and walking in the power of the word. It swung too far the other way of it's only grace and do whatever you want and please because you're covered by the blood of Jesus and, and go out and do it. And there's got to be a balance. There is a balance you know, Ron, when he talked about what he did at the Emmaus Walk, and you, you talked about the three types of grace that was there. But there comes a time when the staff of grace gets broken, and it's amazing how God works all of these points in. Because did you know that the staff of grace can be broken? That's, that was the burden of the word of the Lord to me this week, and and boy, I got two different kind of staffs today to show you something here in a little bit. And when I walked in, they said, man, you mean business today. And it's like, no, but I got to demonstrate from the word of God what's going on. And uh, so that we can know it, because what's happened is the shepherds, you know, we have the good shepherd. But the other shepherds have led us astray. Shepherds that stand like in my position. But there's also shepherds that, that teach other things. There's shepherds that try to guide your thoughts by the news media. And then there's shepherds politically as well that are leaders. And the shepherds in a conglomerate of the three have 
led us astray. They've taken us down a wrong path that, that needs to be corrected. Um, as sheep, did you know that if you don't have the proper diet and balance that you can starve to death on a full belly? You know, I don't know how many years ago it was that I read a book that was called Follow the River. Has anyone heard of that book? I think it was written by a guy from Indiana here. Um, you haven't read, no one's read it? I suggest you get a copy of Follow the River. It's an old book. I think it was written about 40 years ago. Follow the River is set in 1755. Na name of the lady I think was Laura Ingalls and what happened was as a society was pressing from that east coast and moving west they had gotten into Virginia close to the Blue Ridge Mountains and and her family and that and that place that they was trying to make as their home and along with some others was right next to Indian territory because you know it was us that pushed them west and we were moving into their territory and one day, the Indians came in and, and killed a lot of the menfolk, and they took her captive. And it was the Shawnee Indians. And they took her captive, and they went back to the rivers, and they took their canoe and went back through the river system to the Ohio River. They canoed the Ohio River all the way back into Ohio to where their uh, tribe was settled. And that's where she stayed for several months until she could find a way to escape from there. The only when she did find a way to escape from the captivity, the only thing she knew is that they took the river all the way here. If I can follow the river, I can be back home. And it was almost a thousand mile journey that she took and it took a long, long time. But as a country boy, interested in those type of tales and interested in survival type things and, and woodland. I mean, I'd read my, my Side of the Mountain and those kind of books whenever I was in school. And I, I always loved those kind of adventures. And so as I followed that book, the one thing that I was amazed was she had to provide her food and sustenance on the run each and every day whether it was cattails or berries or whatever the season brought along. But when it was berry season, she would just fill her belly with the berries and keep moving towards home. And I was shocked. It was the first time I learned about nutrition as well as a young man because it said that I didn't know that this could happen, but it said that by the time she made it back home, she was 23 years old when she was captured. She was still mid-20s. But her body had shrank down to nothing. Her hair was white as snow. What once was just raven black. Because all of the nutrients in her body that she had used up to the point of getting captured was used up in that run back home through all of that. She was literally starving to death even though she was filling her belly with those berries and those different things all the way back. There was not enough nutrients to keep her alive. And when she finally made it home and the people saw her and started to run, she fainted and passed out and was out for quite a while. And they had to nurse her back slowly to health and put those vitamins and minerals and food slowly back into her system. 
and but she never regained the color of her hair and all of that the rest of her life because it was depleted from her and then as as I was looking, there's a story of these deer that got trapped down in a valley in a big snowstorm. And the people of the town seen them down there and knew that they couldn't get out of this big snowstorm. So they kept throwing hay down to them. And that flock of deer kept, that herd of deer kept eating on the hay. But they ended up starving to death before summer came. And they was like, what happened? And it was that deer cannot survive on hay it doesn't provide the proper nutrition that they need so my analogy is is that the church Christians nations you cannot survive on fluff you're going to deplete yourself you're going to go too far one way and, it, and at times it can be uncorrectable so there has to be a balance in the word of God. Paul in Acts 20, whenever he was there talking to them, he said, I am innocent of the blood of any person because I taught you truthfully everything that was in the word of God. I withheld nothing from you and I spoke to you the whole counsel of the word of God. So we've got to have the entire counsel of the word of God, even if sometimes it, it sounds a little rough it sounds like something I don't like what I studied this week I did not like but I have to teach as a shepherd the entire counsel of the Word of God for our benefit for mine yours my family your family our souls we have to understand and know the entire counsel of the Word of God and sometimes we see and it, and it still comes from Zechariah. And we've seen how many wonderful messages of here's your redeemer and shout and sing. Boy, he's coming with salvation. But then we get to chapter 11. But I can't go to chapter 11 first. Because then I seen some things on the news yesterday. And it made my soul ache of what's coming all the way down to even our communities. And I thought. We've got to have the whole counsel of God. God says, be ye holy for I am holy. He wants us to walk in that type of way so that his staff of grace and his rod of grace and bands, unity that we'll find in a minute, will not be broken. That his covenant of grace will not be broken with us. But when a nation goes too far, God hates sin and cannot have fellowship with it and when it's too far he breaks that band of grace that staff of grace so i had a scripture that i wanted to go to first and i want to get to titus chapter 2 but i'll start in titus chapter 1 right now and in titus chapter 1 there was a specific reason that paul left titus in Crete. he says i left you here for a specific purpose in mind and that purpose he says is that the that you need to set things in order. The proper order. The way it's a God-ordained order. I want you to put the things in order that is in there. And the first thing he said was, you set it in order 
And in every city you ordain men to be elders that are qualified from that. And he gives a list of qualifications of those who are to do that. Why? They are to set an example. They are to be godly men who walk with God as we're going to see in a moment that we're supposed to be training each other up to be. And you're to follow their example. But these men set the example. They are to lead. And then they are to watch over that flock of God. And verse 10 begins to speak to Titus why he needed to watch. Because he said man it's just people's nature it's in every city it's in every town and it even it comes into bodies of Christ and know that I'm not talking about here I love you all and we got one of the greatest bodies of Christ ever and I praise God for all of you each and every day I'm just talking about what the norm is out there and why these things had to be written and he says there are everywhere just like idle talkers deceivers whose mouths must be stopped and I can hear the folks that are in some of those places that only talk and teach one way going are you kidding me that can't be in the Bible it can't be in the Bible that idle talkers have to have their mouths shut up and stopped well folks it says it right there in the word of God and I apologize for the screen. I'm going to have to go and find a new screen because I think the monitor uh, went green on us Wednesday and it makes it a little harder to see. So I'm going to have to try to correct that. But the word of God, he says, is that there are people who become idle. They become deceivers. The tongue starts working and you have to go and stop their mouths. You have to quit letting them deceive people lead them astray take their souls in jeopardy and do it all for their profit and you cannot allow that to go on uh, you have to build them up in a solid foundation of the word of God and in faith and so then we get into chapter 2 that told about the bad side and why you have to do this and why I left you here but he says now but as for us so as for us who do not want to be any of those things and we want to be what the body of Christ is supposed to be, he says, but as for you, when you open your mouth, speak the things that are the word of God, that are proper and that which is sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? How do you get sound doctrine? You know what sound doctrine is? It's the word of God. And how do you get sound doctrine, Ray? Faith comes by what? Yeah, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Don't ever forget that. And sound doctrine is not only faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but sound doctrine then takes what the word of God is and rightly divides it and discerns it. The second thing that we're responsible for is rightly dividing the word of truth after we begin to know the word of truth. Because you can, you can read the word of truth, but you can spin it a way that it's not supposed to be meant to spin. So we are supposed to now start going with sound doctrine. And did you know that there's some responsibilities and roles that we have? Now the first one here in verse 2 is to older men. I've, I've looked with my glasses on and my glasses off, and I don't see any of you older men in here. About all of you is middle-aged and young, 
So take notes on what we're supposed to be when we get to be older men, okay? This is what we're supposed to grow up to be. It says now that you're older men, I want you to be serious. I want you to be sober. You know, that doesn't only mean not to be intoxicated. What sober means, the word comes from that where what the problem is, is when you're intoxicated, your mind no longer thinks straight and rational. Your mind becomes loosened up and your morals become loosened up and you can be easily led astray and, and go into different places when your mind is intoxicated. So when it says for you to be sober, it's to be the opposite of that. You are supposed to have a sound mind that can think, that can discern, and act properly out whenever you're out. So you older men, the first thing, get a sound mind in the word of God and know what it is. And then be reverent. You are, your life should be lived in such a way as it is holy unto God. In and it's going to be the same thing with the women. And I use the scripture in everything that you do, whether in word or deed, do it as unto what? God and the Lord. It says, do it as unto the Lord. Everything that we do is supposed to be done. So whenever you monitor yourself throughout the week and you find yourself in certain situations, say, am I doing this as unto the Lord? Would it be reverent in his sight? temperate that means i can control myself a little bit i'm sure none of you have the problem i do but every once in a while when i get tired or when things the pressures come along i can get a little bit untemperament i can get a little bit wound up and out there and i don't like it when i do but sometimes that happens but i try to to force myself in Christ to be temperate in all things and everything that I'm trying to do. Sound in faith. Man, that means, like we just said, that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and rightly discerning that word so that I am sound in it. What that means is, when it says that you're sound in faith, that's, that's the word for healing. That's the word... That means, have you ever, like, sliced open a potato? I had one this, this weekend, so I can use that as an example. Have you ever had a baked potato that looks so good, so perfect, and when you cut it open and fold it out, the center's rotten, and you got to scrape half of that booger out? I had to do that this week, but that's what this word means. When it says that you are to be sound in faith, that means you are to be completely through and through to the core that there is no rottenness in the middle. So to be sound in faith is like when your whole body is sound and healthy. In faith, we're to be that way too. What is outwardly seen is one thing, but Jesus told some folks one time, but on the inside, you know, you're whited sepulchrals outside, but you're just totally gross on the inside. This word is saying that as older men... My responsibility is to be sober, reverent, temperate, and I am no longer supposed to have in my core being any rottenness. I'm, I'm supposed to be good through and through. That's what I am striving to be like. 
And I am to do all of that in love and in patience. And that means I have to not only love myself and be patient with myself as I grow, but the same way with everyone else who is doing the same thing that I am, that's trying to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are all on different levels, so we have to love and have patience with that as well. And then, you know, that's the men. You're off the hook now for a minute. We're, we're all off the hook for just a second because now we're going to the women. And to the women, and again, I look around and I don't see any older women here. It's mainly you younger women and middle-aged. So here's some notes for you to take as, as you're growing up. Be reverent in behavior, the same thing. Your behavior is supposed to be as unto the Lord in everything you do. Your walk of life, how people see you. It should be that we are different and we're a peculiar people to the world because we don't act like they do. You be likewise like the older men in all these things. Be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. Oh my. <clears throat> you know what that word for slanderer is? Diabolos. Does anybody know what the word diabolos means or diablo? Devil. Devil, it is. Because it, it's an acronym for him because what is his character trait liar he's a slanderer he's a liar from the beginning and the father of it and all he does is likes to lie he likes to backbite he likes to destroy the character of others he likes to go before God and accuse us of things that we don't do but thank God as we've studied throughout this whole portion of Zechariah that God sees us through Christ and says put the robe on him and you get out of my presence but we are not to act in that way in a spirit of bringing people down of talking about them and lying about them as we do it and backbiting each other's not given that word means not to be a slave to it's it's deutomai it's 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 a deutomus it's it's dulamus dulos it's the bond servant you're not to be a bond servant unto wine and again that goes kind of back to where we were up there in sober that goes back to the same thing your mind is in a proper state and proper discernment and you're not supposed to allow yourself to be given to too much of that. And then teachers of good things. You know, I've ran across a lot of ladies who love to be teachers. And they want to be teachers even in, in areas that, that's not really allowed in the Word of God. But there is some areas that are allowed in the Word of God that are encouraged and, yea, commanded for you to be a teacher in. And that is this. You are to be a teacher of good things. The things that are intrinsically good from the word of God. And who are you supposed to be teaching? That you are to teach and admonish the young women. You've got a role and this is your God-given role of who you are to instruct besides your kids as they are growing up. You are to instruct the younger women. Why? Because if we allow the world to instruct them, our world is going to go to Hades in a handbasket, isn't it? And we see it happening. Why? Because 
Older men have not been setting the right examples and being who they're supposed to be in the word of God so that as we get there in a minute that the younger men can look at them as role models and how they're supposed to grow up. And our older women have not been teaching the younger women to love. What are you supposed to teach them? Give me some clues. Well, Paul says, okay, here you go. Admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their kids. And you say, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Should be, but is it? Not today, is it? How many have trouble with this? To love your husbands? And I always put a caveat with this because you don't have to take abuse. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5 that husbands... You are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave of himself for it. So whenever you start out with who you're supposed to be, then they can do what they're supposed to be, which is to love their husbands and then to love their children. And what is the best way that you can love your children? You can teach them and raise them up in the word of God. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are not old, it will not depart from them. And it doesn't mean that every kid will never depart from the Word of God, because that's not what it's saying. What it means is, if you have trained them over and over and over in the Word of God, the Word of God does not depart from inside of them. They will know it. They may depart from God, but that word will always be in there convicting them and bringing them back. So you train them up anyway. You, you train them up and train them to love their children. And you do this how? In the word of God, but by your actions. You train them to be discreet and chaste. And that means that you live a life that is holy to God. It is chaste and pure, and it's the same word as like for a virgin, like the church is supposed to be adorned for its, its uh, bride, the groom of Christ. We are to be that way. It's a word of purity unto God and unto your family. You are to be chaste. You are to be discreet. That means in what I wear, in what I say, in what I do, as the world sees me, I am to be chaste and I am to be discreet with myself so that I don't attract the wrong type of attentions to myself. You older women, you have to train up the younger ones coming up to be this way, to be homemakers, to make a home. The word actually meant to stay at home and guard it. So don't kill the messenger. I'm just telling you what God said. Okay? We got into trouble in the world wars when the women had to work and the men were off. And then when they came back, it was like we can have two paychecks. And then the price and greed of everything went up so that now you had to have that. And they led the mothers away from the home. Mothers, when you make a decision to be a wife... And you make a decision to be a mother. Did you ever, any of you guys ever read the book, I Am Third? Boy, you guys don't have the same books I did. <laughs> I Am Third was by Walter Payton. He's talking about Brian Piccolo. It was another running back for the Chicago Bears. I know you, you remember. You got your butt jerky on jersey on today. Give me some, man. 
so the Chicago Bears, Gail Sayers, and he had a, a, um, a white brother named Brian Piccolo that he loved real well. And they both had some body ailments as they was going through football. And they relied upon each other. And there was a plaque on a desk that they saw that designed their life. And it says, God is first. Others are second. And I am third. Isn't that kind of like what when they ask the Lord, what's the greatest commandment that there is? It says you're to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, mind and strength and all your being, basically. And to love others as yourself. Well, that book is kind of like following that design, isn't it? I love God. I love others as myself. I am third. Well, ladies, when you become a wife and a mother, your book would be titled, I am fourth. Because God is first, husband and family is second and third, and I am fourth. And if you are not fourth, and you kind of want to place yourself second, I'm going to tell you that you're actually placing yourself first. Because God says you're supposed to be fourth. And so if you place yourself above everything else except God, then you're really placing yourself above the word of God too. And so it's all about you. So I am now fourth. It is about my relationship with my husband, my family, and training them up in the proper way. And when I get older, it's to also explain that to the younger women as they grow up so that our society functions in a godly way. And we don't have to worry, but most of all, souls are saved. The souls of our family get saved because we've trained them up in the word of God and what we're supposed to be. To be good. That's intrinsically good, just like we talked about with the potato a while ago. And a, obedient, that just means to be, you know your place with it. And I don't mean that he's telling you to do things that's wrong, that you do that. That's not what it's talking about. It means you know your place with him and in the rank in the eyes of God. And that, that you, you, you serve the household in that way. When it says homemakers, that's the other part I wanted to say. It's a special word. And that word for homemakers is from Oreos. And that actually is a word that means to guard, like something that is important, and you guard it and protect it. Women, you help be the guardians of the home. Because if the husband is busy with the sweat of his brow, and your children you're trying to train up, you are watching over the household to protect your children and your husband from the things that they might not see. God gave you to be the helpmeet in that type of a way. And your responsibility is to guard your home like a mama bear, whether it's husband or kids. So that why do you do this? So that the word of God is not blasphemed. So that when people look at us, it doesn't say, oh, they act one way on Sunday, but the rest of the time, what, what does that do? Why, what's the number one thing that you hear people say that do not want to go to church? Said, well, I would go to church except there's too many what there? If you act, that's right. And if you act the way Paul told Titus to start teaching people what to do, then the word of God wouldn't be blasphemed and they don't have that excuse, which is not an excuse anyway. Miss T, I don't even know where I'm at on here. I've just been going, give me the next one. 
We'll, we'll catch up somewhere along here. I already told her to be ready for me to tell you. Go back one. Go this one. Go that. Let's see where I'm at. That one was gone. Okay, yeah, at the bottom of this one. Next category, young men. So now, if there was any aged men and aged women, now you're off the hook. Because now we're going to young men. You know what that word means? It means fresh. <laughs> it means new on the scene. So these are guys that's now like graduating high school and getting into life. And it's like, oh wow, here's all this new stuff. And they're saying that I'm supposed to be a man. What's that mean? Well, you're supposed to be sober-minded too. Hopefully you've had mother and father that's kind of guided you in the way that you were supposed to go and you've picked a good role model in your life and you are being trained up and now you're able to make sober and wise decisions based upon the authority of Bible doctrine. In all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. You know what a pattern is, is a mode. So if you take those older men and you saw what they're doing and they've taken you under your wing, then now... You are developed in that pattern and now you follow that pattern so that those who come behind you will also follow that same pattern. That's what a pattern means, that each succeeding one is cut out after the same way. I used to work at, uh, it was called Johnson Controls. When I joined, it was signed in, it was Hoover Universal. It's since been bought out. But you all know two liter bottles, right? Okay, we struck out on the two books, but y'all know two-liter bottles of Coke and Pepsi and that kind of thing. Well, that's what they made. And within nine months of there being two-liter bottles on the market, I'm not going to date myself too much, but this was like 1981 or 1980. I got to work there. I was an injection molding operator, and then I was an RHB operator. What those terms mean is, is that we had a mode a pattern and it had started out with eight cavities and then they brought in new modes that had 16 cavities but what it was was it was a press a big long press and one side had the holes in the mode and the other side had the fingers it was like this and so that machine would close and snap shut so that these fingers fit inside that hole and it would shoot hot plastic in and go, a mold around that point and it come out looking like a plastic test tube about that long with the bottle cap screw on on the top and the little flange. So the, but the rest of it from there on down is straight and thick. So that's injection molding. It, the mold is a pattern. Every time that closed, open and kicked them off, it kicked the same thing off. It would close, inject, come out again, kick the same parts off. You can look at your cups and silverware, anything. Anything that comes from a mold or a pattern, it's repeated and they're the same thing over and over. The Word of God says that if I can have old men acting the way they're supposed to act and, and, young and older women training the younger women up on how they're supposed to act and train their kids up, when you become young men, you're already sober-minded. You're already showing yourself to be a good pattern because you're patterned after what was before you. And now you show integrity. You, you show yourself in good works. 
in doctrine. You show integrity, reverence for God. Your life is that way, and it's incorruptible. And your sound speech that you speak of, it says that if there's anyone out there who would try to slander you, that diabolos thing, that if they try to slander you and talk about you and say something bad about you, they would be embarrassed because everyone would say you're wrong. He's a pattern of good works. Your speech and your way of action should be that it's not condemned. And any opponent who tries to say anything evil of you would be ashamed because he did it. If we did that, would our society not be so much better? Okay. Amen. That, wouldn't you want to live in a society that's like that? Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And that's the same principle. Christ is, is our one we imitate. The older men imitate Christ. The younger ones see that and imitate us as we are imitating Christ in our life. And we, we then have this kind of reverence for God and no one can say anything. And what really, what really brought this on, I don't know how many of you saw on the news what's going on in the middle school. But that's what brought it on. Okay. I'm not going to speak on it. I'm just going to say go search the news for John R. Wooden Middle School and, and what's happening. Because to see it on the front page of the news yesterday before I wrote this lesson is what caused me to go right here. Because if we have godly men and women who are training up younger men and women godly in the way that they should go, who are training up their children in the ways they should go, we wouldn't be having these problems in our society that's coming all the way down to our little town. It's, it's, a, it's a plague that is across our entire country. And it pains me. And it aches me. And you say why does it pain you and ache you? I'm going I'm to put this out first. I love all of those folks. I love the ones who are confused. I wish that they would, I would be able to come and talk to them and help them. I love all of that. But what I don't love is what our leaders have led us into is what we're supposed to say is acceptable because it wasn't the school board that's decided this that can go on and anything else. It's a circuit court judge in Indianapolis that says because you take federal funds to operate your schools, you will operate under Title IX and you will do as we say and this is going to be allowed no matter what if you want to continue being a school. You see, our shepherds have sold us out. When they control every aspect of your life. And say it's this or else. Then that's wrong. You know that's why. We will never be a 501c3 church. Because when you become a 501c3 church. Most of them don't realize it, but you sign on it. The government's now over you. And if you begin to say or do anything that's outside of their boundaries, they can come in and, and shut you right down. You know who the head of this church is? God and Jesus Christ, because who bought it? 
It says with his precious blood in Peter that he purchased the church for himself. So he purchased the church. He is the head of the church. And so he is the only one that has the authority, which is his word, to tell us what we say, what we do, and, and what goes on. And, and you cannot allow false shepherds to come in for their greed. Because last week, what was the Lord sowed for? You remember? 30 pieces of silver. We're going to touch back on that again. I was supposed to be in Zechariah 11. And I'm going to be honest with you. This isn't in my notes either, Miss T. She's like, last week I was just lost. You was, I said, I know. It's, it's always my fault. Whenever I'm ever saying, it's always me because I just let it roll sometimes. And I just go off script and allow the Lord to work. But when I was studying Zechariah 4 the, or 11 this week, I spent four hours on the siege of Jerusalem. Because when it talks about these staffs breaking here in a minute, it was referring to what was going to happen in 70 A.D. And I spent four solid hours learning about history of what happened in the siege of Jerusalem. You don't want to know the details. When those Roman armies started... See, those who are in Christ and know the word, and you're going to see it talk about the poor that were there in a minute. They saw me and knew it was my word. That's what it's talking about, Luke 21, where, he's going to, where the Lord's going to tell him, when you see the armies encompassing Jerusalem, head to the hills and get out of there. So the ones who were believers and had their eyes on the Lord and on his word and knew that it was his word, they got out and they went to safety. They were delivered, but the rest weren't because they stayed. So as the army started sieging Jerusalem, man, it was sickening. They spent six months surrounding it and allowing them to first almost destroy themselves. First of all, since it, it, be, it became lawless, when they saw that they was encompassed, the people said, we don't have much longer to live, so they became lawless. That shut off the road of food. So they became hungry like we started out. You can starve to death on a full belly. But they had grain storage bins that could have supplied them forever. But you know what? One section of zealots got so mad at another section, they set those grain bins on fire and burnt all of the food that they had because they were fighting amongst themselves. That's disunity. When, the, the, when a country is divided against itself, the Lord said it shall not what? It will not stand. It will fall. So the first, there's two staffs that a good shepherd has over his people. And that is the staff of beauty and that's the staff of bands. And there's different words for it. But that's unity and grace. And when we walk in the Lord and we are in unity as we just saw in his word. And we are developing the way we should as a society then the, the good shepherd keeps over us the band of unity and the band of grace in a nation. But when a nation and when a people begins breaking that covenant with God and not walking in the ways of God, then one of the two goes first and the other one follows. Unity will break or grace will break and one will force the other to break. And they fought against themselves. They burned the food rations down. So now there's no food. So now you got a city of two million people that started having band of ravagers going around. And it used to have a big rat problem. They ate every rat that was in the town. They ate every mouse. They ate everything that moved and lived. 
So then they went down to leather because leather came from animals and they began eating belts and leather and garments. They ate everything they could and then they got so hungry they began eating each other. And one of the stories that was told by Josephus who saw and witnessed everything that went on was of a young lady who had been from a well-to-do family that they had murdered uh, her family during this six-month period. She had her baby. Uh, they were going house to house and marauding, stealing the food, uh, raping the women, killing the men, taking their arms, their money, everything that there was. And she had her her baby and by the time it came to three months she had been beaten so many times and and marauded that she's like what life am i leaving him for so she roasted her baby had half of it the marauder smelt food came to the house and was ready to beat her she says you don't have to beat me the pot's there because she was about dead and they took the rest of it the burden of the word of the Lord has been heavy on my heart because from the past I can see the future. If we do not change, if we do not pray, if we do not do what the word of God says with our families and with our kids and with our prayers and demanding that we get back on track, I see what the future holds by what the past says. Zechariah chapter 11, open your doors. O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. What was the house of God built with? The cedars of Lebanon. The temple is coming down. Wail, because cedar has fallen. The mighty has been ruined. Oh, you oaks of Bashan. That's, that's the other, that's the leaders, the strong people. No, your thick forest has also come down too. The sound of wailing from all the shepherds, the ones who had been feeding off the people and becoming great and powerful and rich, now yours is coming to ruin too and your pride is going out. The sound of your roaring lions is done. For thus saith the Lord my God. Look at verse 4. Feed the flock for slaughter. That's, that's the verse that got me thinking about you're, you're dying on a full belly. You, you're, not, you're not getting the full counsel of the word of God. You've got to have it all. Feed the flock for slaughter. What's he mean? I was your shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am supposed to be the one that you follow. But you have chosen not to follow me. And you've chosen to follow all of these other false shepherds. Who have led you astray. They do not care about you, but now they own you. Verse 5, they own you and your owners will slaughter you and feel no guilt. And Josephus wrote how that the Roman Caesar, when he stood and looked over the desolation of Jerusalem, that six months later when 1.5 million people had been killed and then the rest of the 79 or 93,000 were taken as slaves, that he looked over the marauding of the land and he said, what my fault? I'm not guilty of any of this. They brought it on themselves. It's not my fault. Your owners that you sold me out to will say I have no guilt when they slaughter you. And they will say, but I'm blessed from the Lord because I'm rich. I, it must have been their fault. And your shepherds will not pity you. 
For I, then the Lord says, will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. I will give to everyone into his neighbor's hands. That's when the disunity came and they attacked themselves first. They gave them into the hand and then into the hand of the king. And they will attack the land and I will not deliver you. Go ahead and give me the next one, Miss T. Because I'm just going... So I fed the flock for slaughter. So Zechariah kept preaching. Even though he knew where they was heading, he kept preaching the word, hoping that some would get it, that some would not go off track. He said, I kept preaching the word even though they were slaughtered, but in particular the poor. Why? Because blessed are the poor in spirit, right? They will see God. So he said, the poor though, they kept my eyes on me. Who's your eyes on through all of this? Is your eyes on the good shepherd or on the tantalizing things that this world is offering. He says, I, so I took for myself two staffs. <laughs> I got two staffs here. He said, I took two staffs. One's called beauty, and one is called bonds. And in one month I dismissed, and that's going to be in August of 70 AD, all three of the, the types of shepherds there was, prophet, priests, and kings, the rulers, the, politici- the politicians, the priests, and the prophets, I got rid of them all because of what they were doing. And he says, then I took my, my two staffs here that I had. I dismissed them, my soul loathed them, and they abhorred me. And I said, I'm not feeding you anymore. Let that which is dying go ahead and die. That which is perishing shall perish. Those that are left shall what? See, that came true in 70 AD in that six months. The word of God from 550 years says you're going to leave me. You're going to sell me out. You're going to go to other things. And when the pendulum gets changed too far, the staff of grace is going to be broken. So verse 10, I took my staff, beauty, and I cut it in two. And I use this for other things because I thought about breaking it. And then I thought, well, he's going to break the other one too, and I can't break this. I'd break my leg, so I might as well just up front just not break it. But he says, I broke the staff of beauty. It's this, the word is for grace. What it means is that in the grace of God, it brings splendor and beauty to the people. So the good shepherd has two staffs. But I broke that in two that I might break my covenant that I had made with them. When you were walking in my ways and walking in my paths, I had a covenant with you. But you have left it and refused to leave it and you've gone so far that I have to break my covenant. So it was broken on that day. But the poor of the flock who were watching me, if you got your eyes on the Lord and you're watching what's going on, they knew that it was the word of the Lord that was coming and they're going to get delivered. So go ahead and give me the next one because I'm just rolling now. And then I cut my other staff, bonds, this one, in two. He said, Then I cut this one in half and I broke that one as well that I might break the unity, the bond that was between Judah and Israel. When when a nation divides and splits, it can't stand. It's going to fall. And then the rest of it happens too. And the Lord said, next, take take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. I'm not going to go there today. That's going to be next week. Go ahead and give me that next one, Miss T. Because the Lord assumes... And that you know the scriptures of Leviticus 26. And I've, I've taught this one other time. It's been a while, so I went ahead and put them on there. I didn't go through all five cycles of discipline. 
But Leviticus 26 gives the five cycles of discipline that happens to people and to a nation when they start walking away from God. The first few verses of Leviticus 26 says, if, to my people, if you walk in my ways, if you follow in my paths, I will bless you in all of these ways. In other words, my two staffs, the staff of grace and the staff of bonds of unity will be above you and I will protect you, I will prosper you and America has had that for a long time. Israel had that two different times and always fell, failed to follow through on it. He said, if you, but if you walk contrary to me, and there's five steps that goes deeper and deeper, I skipped the first three. We're at about number three right now in America. But step four says, if by these things you are not reformed, and you don't repent, but you continue to walk contrary of me, then I will also walk contrary of you and I will punish you seven times for your sins. I will bring the sword against you and I will execute vengeance from the covenant that I have broken now. I will not no longer have my covenant of peace around you and protection. I will remove the restraint of the enemies and they will be able to come and gather together within your cities. I will send pestilence and you will be delivered into the hands of the enemy. I will cut off what? Su supply of what? Food, sustenance, the things you can live by. Have you heard what every world leader is trying to tell us on the news for the last couple of weeks? There's going to be a what? Shortage of food, shortage of famine. He says, I will cut off your supply of bread. It'll take 10 women to try to bake one loaf and you still will be hungry because they're going to give it to you by weight and it won't satisfy you. Your, your daily wage, 10 women can only bake one bread and it won't be enough for you and you will eat and you won't be satisfied. That's the fourth cycle when a nation comes that far down. We're supposed to repent when you see these things and return to God, but that's why he says if you don't, this is the next step that happens. Now the fifth cycle. Go ahead and give me the next one. Oh, yeah, that one. After all of this, if you do not obey me still, but continue to walk contrary to me, I will walk contrary to you in fury. I will chastise you even seven times more for your sins. And you shall what in verse 29? You see, that happened in 70 A.D. And the burden of the word of the Lord is heavy. Because I don't want to see the future from the past. Because these are the laws of divine establishment of nations. And I don't want to see it to get there. So we got to pray and we got to act. And we got to make sure that we turn this thing around. Because I do not want to see that happen in my country or in any other country in this world. So... The good shepherd. It says that the Lord, who's, who's our shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Those things wouldn't happen to me. And then it gets down to about verse 4 and it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I shall fear what? Why? What happens when... Right. But what happens if he's not with you? 
What happens if, like Zechariah 11, he decides to break the rod and the staff? If he decides to break the rod of beauty and the rod of bands or unity, what happens when the staff of grace, he's no longer with you, is he? There'll be no comfort. There'll be fear. But he says, as long as I remain your shepherd and you walk in me, you will fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, that means God's protection, his, his watchful care. You see, a good shepherd, the good shepherd had two. It wasn't just this that he's associated with, but it's also this. Because one is for his little woolies. That's us, the sheep. This one here is, is the good shepherd's shepherd crook. Now, if you're like me, you want to wander off. You know, sheep are not the brightest crayons in the box. They, they like to munch and look and munch and look. And next thing you know, they're lost. But also, that they'll munch. And, now, this has happened to me, so I know what it's like for a sheepy. But have you ever seen a big mushroom in the middle of a briar patch and you got to go get it? And you get in there and now you're all stuck, aren't you? Well, you see, that's the way they are. That, that piece of grass looks really good inside there. And so that little woolly's going to get in there and get it. And now all of a sudden he's stuck. So you know what the good shepherd has to do? The good shepherd has to go and he has to take that little crook that he's got there. And he's got to start guiding that little woolly out of the trouble he got himself into. You see, when the Lord is leading you, he's trying to guide you by those first steps that says, if you walk contrary to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, this, and this. He tries to pull us away from those things. He will use this to, to tap them on the nose and say, no, that's bad for you. If they start to get out of line, he'll go, no, get back in line. It's up, up here. This is where, the way you got to go. So he uses this staff in love. This is his staff of grace to his believer. And it's used to help pull you out of trouble, to guide you away from trouble, and to discipline you to have you to go away from your trouble. Sheep have two enemies, themselves and, and what else? Wolves, predators, external things. You know, we have that same thing. We have ourself as an enemy sometimes in our flesh, but we also have outside circumstances. And for the outside circumstances, it was one of these. It was really about probably this long, and it was a club. And that was the club to be used for the bear, for the lion, for the wolf, for the fox, the things, the predators that would come in and to try to take his woolies. And a good shepherd will risk his life for the sheep and go out and, and snap them with this club. That was the rod of, of bands too. So a good shepherd watches not only over the sheep, but over the nation with a rod and a staff. And they comfort me. When we go outside of that, the good shepherd says, I come to a point at times when I break my rod and my staff. I break my covenant because you've gone too far and I begin to allow those things to happen to you. So that is why I wanted to teach on 
Titus. Go ahead and give me the next one. I wanted to teach on how society's supposed to be. Of how I'm supposed to be as an older man and a role model. And how you're supposed to be as older women as not only role models in that same way, but how that you teach the younger women to be godly the same way and to bring them up in that way so that they bring their kids up into that way. And the young men, when they look upon us and they see us now when they become new, fresh, and they become a man on their own and have to face it, They've had a role model and they've had a pattern and now they've got a pattern of sound judgment and mind and, and ways to go that they can go, go to and continue to watch on us so that these things do not happen to us and to our children. And that was the burden of the word of the Lord on my heart this day. So as our worship team comes up, why should we do that? Because the grace of God you see, it comes back to that band of grace. The grace of God that brought salvation, like we've studied for the last couple of weeks when he rolled into Jerusalem on that donkey. When salvation appeared to us all, it taught us what salvation and freedom from the bonds of sin should teach us is to deny the ungodliness and lustful flesh of this world to deny those things of this present world because our eyes are looking to the blessed hope and the coming back of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ where he will gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all of those things and purify unto himself us as his holy and peculiar people. So that's why we need to do that and walk in those ways. And we're no longer to be called by the world, but to be called by the Lord who redeemed us to be his peculiar people and set us apart. And we are to be zealous for good works and to exhort each other. And don't let anyone rebuke you for the things that you teach in the name of the word of God. So, Father... About four weeks ago, I thought I knew what the burden of the word of the Lord was when Zacharias said it. But I hadn't seen everything that he had saw yet. And so I got a deeper taste of what the burden of the word of the Lord is. And I pray that each and every soul that is here this day got a taste of what the burden of the word of the Lord is and how important it is for us to trust in our Redeemer who came and saved us. But he said I want to set you apart. As a holy nation and priesthood. You are a peculiar people. I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to live in such a reverent. Godly life. That when people see your chasteness. And your discreetness. And your walk. And the pattern that you're given to. The ones that are younger underneath of you. That if they would even try. To speak a word of evil against you. They would have to be ashamed. Because everyone in the entire world would say. You're lying. That's not them. So Father I pray. That if there are any here this day. That's heard the burden of your word. And the Holy Spirit has convicted them. Because they have not received Jesus. As their Lord and Savior. I would pray. That at this time. That they would make that known. And that they would claim you as their Lord and Savior in faith and believe that you are 
that Jesus is the, your son, that he came in that virgin birth as you prophesied. He was raised up. He, he went a sinless life. He died upon that cross as our redemption and payment for everything. And I pray that they will claim that in faith wholeheartedly. That they want to be baptized into Christ and put on Christ and their life hidden with Christ and the circumcision of the heart of their flesh be cut away just as the covenant says and that they would be yours. And for all who have done that, I pray, Father, that we strive and desire this day to stop the breaking of the bands of grace and unity and to ask you to put those back together over us, over this nation, over this, this state, over our city, over our body of Christ, over our community in which we live and that we make the difference by being the type of people that you have asked us to be and it begins with us. And so Father, I pray that you give us the moral standards, the the strength to stand for you and to just live our life the way that you would have us to live and deny all and the godliness and the lustful desires of this present world and that we might keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, our Deliverer, our Savior, and in whose name we pray. Amen.